Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report, a monthly survey of events in the business aviation world. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. We link the business aviation news of the day with the training needs of business operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Welcome to the podcast. I recently attended NBAA's International Operators Conference and witnessed many fantastic presentations. I highly recommend the IOC to all international operators and kudos to the NBAA for putting on a great event. One of the seminars was presented by Laurent Chapeau, who is the SAFA National Coordinator from France. SAFA stands for Safety Assessment of Foreign Aircraft Inspection. He debunked one of the assumptions in the business aviation world that France performs more SAFA inspections than other signatory countries. This is not true, according to Laurent, and he produced a statistic to prove it. He also gave a heads up to operators by notifying the conference that starting in 2020, SAFA inspections will include a breathalyzer test of the flight crew and cabin crew. Other countries that are not signatory SAFA members are already performing breathalyzers randomly worldwide, and I'll talk more about that later in the podcast. So what is a SAFA inspection? The ICAO Chicago Convention on International Civil Aviation, Article 16, states, The appropriate authorities of each of the contracting states shall have the right to search aircraft of other contracting states on landing or departure, and to inspect the certificates and other documents prescribed by this convention. Ramp inspections may be performed at arrival and or at departure of commercial air transport and general aviation aircraft. The process is described in the European Regulation Document number 965 of October 2012. I'll put this in the show notes. The SAFA coordinator, Mr. Laurent, said the point of the inspections is to check the conformity of foreign operators to international standards, mainly ICAO requirements. Member states of the SAFA program include all European countries, Australia, Israel, Morocco, Singapore, Turkey, and the United Arab Emirates. The SAFA inspection itself contains 53 inspection items, which creates a POI, or Proof of Inspection document. There are four different categories of findings that can result from a SAFA inspection. The four categories of findings are Category 3, which requires immediate correction action, including restriction on operation and possible grounding of the aircraft. Category 2 requires a follow-up request on actions taken, which is communicated through the SAFA database and Category 1 and Category G, neither of which require further actions. The SAFA database provides the final version of the inspection report, which notifies the operator and its authority of the report and any findings. The operator can follow up on their findings using the database. I'll put a link to the database in the show notes. So what are some of the common findings? Some common items that come up on SAFA inspections are the requirements to perform in-flight fuel checks and fuel management procedures while in the oceanic segment. ICAO states that operators shall establish policies and procedures to ensure that in-flight fuel checks and fuel management are performed. 
SAF inspectors will check your nav log to verify that you followed your company procedures. Inspectors have also asked to see that plots were made after oceanic waypoints. Plots are the last line of defense to ensure you have not deviated from your clearance after passing a waypoint, thereby helping to prevent gross navigational errors. The finding no in-flight field checks performed is a Category 2 finding, which requires follow-up using the SAFA database. The SAFA inspector will also review your flight plan for pre-flight fuel calculations. A KO Annex 6 Part 1 and 2 states the pre-flight calculation of usable fuel required shall include taxi fuel, trip fuel, contingency fuel, destination alternate fuel, final reserve fuel, additional fuel, and discretionary fuel. That's a lot of fuel categories. Notice that there is contingency fuel, additional fuel, and discretionary fuel listed. Ensure your flight plans have accounted for all the required fuel. Simply having enough fuel is not sufficient for SAFA, and it must be categorized properly. Another finding that was discussed in the presentation is the use of direct routing to the alternate. This is a Category 2 finding, so speak to your flight planning provider and make sure that this is not the case with your flight plan. Another example given by Mr. Laurent, which is a Category 3 finding, is a lack of weather forecast and no temps for alternate airports. You must have proof that these were checked prior to departure. Inspection item Alpha 07 states that the operator must have an MEL for the aircraft. Carrying the master MEL or MMEL is not sufficient for SAFA. Gaining FAA regulatory acceptance for the MEL has generated frustration due to the regulator taking excessive time to approve an MEL, but unfortunately this is not the SAFA inspector's concern. The inspection document indicates that an MEL is required. The good news is that this finding is a Category 2 finding, so you can follow up with SAFA using their database at a later time if you don't have an MEL for the aircraft. The MBAA stated at the conference that they are working with the FAA to shorten the approval time. Even if you have an MEL, you can still run into troubles where the MEL refers to regulatory operational procedures in the case of the specific defect, but they are not specified in the MEL itself for the crew. I'll explain that. The example that was used was a JIPWIZ MEL. In the eyes of SAFA, the MEL is deficient if it says, quote, Alternate procedures will be established and used. These alternate procedures must be clearly described somewhere. The operational procedure in this case could be for the pilot not flying to monitor the radar altimeter, but like I said, this must be stated. So with regards to SAFA checks, it's a good idea to prepare a checklist that covers the requirements of the inspection. Ensure your manual includes a procedure for in-flight fuel checks and fuel management and make sure you perform these checks in the oceanic segment. Ensure that your fuel calculation procedure on the flight plan is compliant with ICAO requirements. Also, ensure that you get all the weather forecasts and no temps for departure, destination, and also alternate airports. What are the chances that you will get ramped? The EU Ramp Inspection Program utilizes a computer algorithm to assess the risk of aircraft entering the EU and participating states. Aircraft are flagged for inspection based upon multiple risk factors prior to arrival. The frequency of travel to Europe is one of the factors considered. Okay, aviation professionals, let's change gears for a moment. In the news is a segment of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in aviation. It's spring and thunderstorms are coming, so I thought I'd talk about an occurrence involving an Airbus 340 flying in night IMC over the eastern Indian Ocean in February of 2013. 
This information is taken from Skybrary, and I'll put a link in the show notes. The aircraft was being operated by Etihad Airways on a scheduled passenger flight from Abu Dhabi to Melbourne. While in the cruise portion of the flight at flight level 350 and in night instrument meteorological conditions, the crew experienced a brief period of unreliable airspeed indication on two of the three displays. Due to this, the autopilot disconnected. Soon after, an unintentional altitude deviation above the cleared flight level took place. The use of normal airspeed displays was successfully reacquired. However, it was found that the autopilot could not be reengaged. Then, excessive vibration on a left side engine began and a pan was declared using CPDLC with a diversion to Singapore. The engine remained in use and the vibration ceased during descent with the rest of the diversion being uneventful. The crew dumped fuel and flew manually to Singapore. The flight data recorder indicated that the ice detection system had not detected any ice buildup during the event, but the saturated air temperature was minus 42 degrees Celsius, which is ISA plus 13, which it was determined was within the range found to have been characteristic of previous occurrences of temporary pitot tube blockage during ice crystal icing encounters. The forecast chart showed an area of isolated embedded cumulonimbus clouds up to flight level 450 in the area where the incident occurred. It is believed that the cause of the incorrect indications was that the two pitot tubes on the left-hand side of the aircraft had been intermittently obstructed by ice crystal icing despite their automatic electric heating functioning normally. Ice crystal icing conditions were outside of the certification icing envelope applicable at the time the aircraft was certified. The cause of the excessive number 2 N1 vibration was found to have been water or ice crystals entering through the spinner fairing and creating an out-of-balance situation and an increase in N1 vibration. The vibration stopped when the ice melted in the descent during the diversion. It was determined that the only link between the unreliable airspeed indication and the increase in engine N1 vibration was the icing encounter itself. So what happened here? The investigators determined the following. An incorrect weather radar tilt setting was selected. Consequently, the crew flew into cumulonimbus cloud at night in IMC. I'll be discussing weather radar in a future podcast. Also, the ambient temperature and the aircraft altitude were outside the icing envelope parameters for the certification envelope and the manufacturer's design requirements for pitot tube probes when the aircraft was built. I doubt many of us are aware of the manufacturer's design requirements for pitot tube probes installed on the aircraft we fly. I'm not trying to simplify this occurrence, but active use of tilt on the weather radar system, and more importantly, a thorough weather briefing of convective activity along the planned route can go a long way to avoiding ice crystal icing encounters. As I said, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Aviation professionals, I want to point out that this podcast is brought to you by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. Okay, now back to the podcast. Breathalyzers for flight crew are here. Airlines have dealt with testing for years. Pilots at Japan Airlines, Qatar, American Airlines, and Sunwing in Calgary have been caught with blood alcohol levels. The Sunwing pilot fell asleep in the cockpit before departure and received eight months in jail and lost his license for a year. I couldn't find a report of a BizJet pilot being tested or caught. According to MBAA, sources at the International Operators Conference, Dutch, German, and Japanese authorities have already begun testing business jet flight crews using breathalyzers. Also, Singaporean authorities started testing at two airports, Changi and Salatar, on March 31st. As I said earlier, starting in August 2020, 
SAF inspections will include a breathalyzer for all pilots and cabin crew, according to Mr. Laurent of the French Authority. This new policy is due to high-profile accidents involving drug, alcohol, and mental health issues of flight crew, which were found to be contributing factors. A test result of 0.02 grams of alcohol per 210 liters of breath will be considered positive. However, if the local law is zero tolerance, this may supersede that threshold. If the initial test result is positive, the person will be immediately removed from duty and subject to a second test. If a crew member yields two positive tests, the operator and, in some cases, local law enforcement will be notified. Thanks for listening and have a great day. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our blog at trainingport.net slash podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day and thank you for listening to Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.